I'm not expecting to preach this evening. Now, that isn't I've got the calendar wrong and I was expecting it, Seth. I thought I was going to be standing here, but I'm not expecting to preach. Now you say, well, what are we going to have? This sounds interesting. Uh, a drama sketch? A video clip? Dancing in the aisles? Now, it makes me think of a saying of my granny's. No, no, a thousand times no. I'd rather die than say yes. Uh, that's slight exaggeration. No, I'm going to talk to you from the Bible. Oh, you say, that sounds like preaching. No, I say, it's not. Preaching is something much more specific than that. Preaching is someone appointed by God and recognised by the church telling you God's message for you and saying this is how you must respond to it. Preaching is something much more specific than just talking to you from the Bible. Now, now that's, that's a very big claim. It makes big demands on the preacher and big demands on the listener. It's, it's not a claim to be like the Pope or like the Pope is, pretends to be, infallible. You know, if he says certain things, it's supposed to be an infallible, 100% right, not claiming that at all. But it is saying you shouldn't listen to preaching and just go away with, well, tonight I just didn't agree with the preaching. Or, tonight I'm just not going to do what the preaching said. I just don't agree with it. That, that shouldn't be possible, or it shouldn't be what you do with preaching. Because preaching is bringing God's message to you that demands a response. Or it isn't preaching. So you either have to believe and obey it, or you have to say, that wasn't really preaching this evening, and I need to speak to the preacher about that. Because either he's got it wrong or I've got it wrong, and I need to know which. Uh, By the way, this is not a request for nitpicking investigation of every little mistake made. But it is saying preaching is a serious business to be taken seriously from both sides of the pulpit, or if we can count this as a pulpit. So, why am I not preaching this evening? Well, because we've got to verses where I'm not confident that I know what they mean. And I'm not confident that I could say, here is what God is saying and here is how you should respond. I'm not confident enough about them. Well, you say, if you're not confident, why didn't you skip them? Well, because they are clearly, even though I don't understand them fully, important verses and contain a really big promise. It's already come up in 1 John once before and I skipped it that time. But I don't think I should skip it the second time. So I want to prompt your thoughts I want to get you thinking. I'm not claiming I'll give all the answers. I'm going to be doing some suggesting, which preaching shouldn't suggest. Preaching should tell you. That's why I'm saying this isn't preaching. It's suggesting. But I'm hoping it will get you thinking, and I'd be interested to hear if maybe you come to some helpful answers. The verses are 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. We can speak to God on the throne of the universe and know that he will give us what we ask. That's amazing. And I'm embarrassed that I don't fully understand this, my embarrassment is lessened by having read a load of commentaries on it and thought, I don't think they understand it either. I didn't find them very convincing. So I just want to prompt us to think about this by first going through the verses briefly 
Then second, thinking about the varieties of prayers that we could pray and how they relate to these verses. And then thirdly, well, it's not really just trying to get you to think. I will suggest some responses. So, first of all, understanding the verses. Let's briefly go through and just check we know what the words mean. God, through John, has been showing us how to be confident in Jesus and have firm faith in him. That's the verses we looked at in last time, up to verse 12. And then in verse 13, he says, this is how you can be confident you have eternal life. But God, through John, has shown elsewhere that that eternal life is not just life that goes on and on and on and on. It's it's a quality as well as a quantity of life. It's a life in fellowship with God. It's life knowing God. And now he goes on to tell us something that's at the heart of that fellowship with God. It's possibly the very best, the centre of that fellowship with God, prayer. And so in verse 14, he tells us about fellowship with God in prayer. And he says, if you're confident you've been born of God, you might remember a couple of weeks ago we saw that subject of 1 John, being born of God, you know he's your father. Well, if you've got that, then you can be confident as you approach God. Verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. The word for confidence there means boldness. It means freedom of speech, not in the political sense of do you have freedom of speech. It means a child that can speak freely to their father, to a loving father. And it includes confidence about how he will respond. Verse 14. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. There's the response, he hears us, but first we have a condition. If we ask anything according to his will. Now, I wonder how you think about that, if we ask anything according to his will. Is that condition really broad? If we ask anything, or is it really narrow? You've got to hit on his will, get his will. How do you tend to respond to that condition? That's nice, broad one, if we ask anything, or that's a really narrow one. It's got to be according to his will. Well, what you think of it really depends on what you think God's will is. How broad or narrow it is depends on what you think God's will is. The Bible tells us about God's will in two ways. There is his revealed will. In the Bible, it tells us what God approves of. Uh, What God says, this is how it should be. People should not murder. The Lord Jesus should be made known. Sinners should repent and turn to him. It tells us his revealed will, what God wants to happen. And it also tells us, the Bible tells us, there's such a thing as God's secret will. The Bible tells us that everything that happens is planned by God, but he hasn't told us it all in advance. It says that God works everything according to his will. And we find as we read through the Bible that everything is not just the broad picture and the general direction. It's details like any sparrow that falls out of the tree. The rain coming down from the sky. The grass growing. The animals having their daily food to eat. Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. Nebuchadnezzar ransacking Egypt. Not Egypt, Israel. Pilate condemning Jesus to death. 
we find all of these details he'd got planned. Some of them he, he made known a little bit before, but most of them, they're just kept secret. They're not our business. Now, I think here in 1 John 5 verse 14, it doesn't mean God will do it if you happen to hit on his secret will. I don't think that would be that great a promise. If you pray for exactly what God had planned to do, he'll do it. Doesn't sound that great a promise. I mean, if you if you happen to pray for what he was going to do anyway, then it will happen. Well, he was going to do it anyway. I think here it is, praying in line with God's revealed will. And I think that makes it broad. I don't think that's really restrictive and narrow and, oh dear, prayer isn't that good. Because God's revealed will is a big thing. His desire for righteousness and for his son to be made known and for his kingdom to grow and for his people to be Christ-like and to be joyful. There's, there's such a lot revealed about God's will. This isn't a narrow thing. Now, what that means for our prayers, how we pray according to God's will, we'll come back to that. That's my second section, varieties of prayer. Let's move on. What's the next thing in verse 14? If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Now, this can't just mean he literally hears us, because God hears everything. He hears the sinners swearing and the dogs barking and the wind blowing. It clearly means something more specific than that. It means he hears and responds in a particular way. And the next verse tells us how he responds. So let's move into verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask. Now, you might wonder what's happened here. In verse 14 he says, if you pray according to his will. And here he says, whatever you ask. It is not that John has changed his mind. Well, I was restricting it, but that's a bit narrow. I'm now going to make it anything. No, he's not broadening the scope here. He is specifying the actual thing you ask, you will receive. If you ask in line with God's will, here is a promise that God will give that actual thing that you have asked for. And then we have what it means when it says he hears us. The end of verse 15. We know that we have what we asked of him. We know that we have what we asked of him. It doesn't say God will answer, but the answer might be no. No is an answer, but it's not saying the answer might be no here. It says we'll have it. It isn't saying later we'll find out if God was going to give it by whether it actually happens. Because it says here, we know that we have what we asked of him. That there are prayers we can be confident as we ask them that God has answered and has given, even though it hasn't yet been delivered to us. Now, that's a big claim. That is a really big claim. But I can't see how the words can mean anything other than that. If you can, tell me afterwards, please. I've said I'm not preaching, I'm suggesting, because I'm out of my depth a bit in this verse. But I can't see how the words can mean anything other than that. And it's not the only place you get things like that. If you're quick at finding places, you might like to turn to Mark 11. I'm going to direct us to two places. 
And the first is Mark 11, so you could either just listen or you could turn to it if you can be quick. Mark 11 and verse 24. Very interesting verse. Have you noticed this before? Mark 11 verse 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. It mustn't be taken outside of the thing that John said in his letter about according to God's will, but there you've got, again, a similar promise. Or turn forward to John's Gospel. Significant, written by John, the same writer as our letter we're studying. John's letter draws quite a lot on Jesus talking to his disciples just before he died. In John 14, 15 and 16 including on this subject of prayer. John chapter 14, verse 13. John 14, verse 13. Jesus says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And then the next chapter, chapter 15, verse 16. Chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. It's got a condition, but there again is a similar promise. And then the very next chapter, chapter 16, verse 23. Chapter 16, verse 23. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Or if you turn back to the letter we're in, 1 John. As I said, this this has already come up and I skipped over it once when it came up back in chapter 3. I don't know how many of you noticed, then I just jumped some verses. I did actually comment that I'm, I think they're really important, but I, I didn't feel ready to speak about them. Uh, chapter 3, verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. That's very interesting. I hope we believe in justification by faith alone. And all we receive from God is out of his grace, not us earning it. But don't turn that into what we do is irrelevant. And how we live doesn't make any difference. Sometimes the gospel is preached as if how we live doesn't make a difference. Yeah, it'd be better not to sin, but if you do, it doesn't make too much difference. It does, including to our prayers and their fruitfulness. Now... In John's Gospel, it talked about asking in Jesus' name. In John's letter, it talks about asking according to God's will. I think those two phrases mean the same thing. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into why now. But I think they mean the same thing. And the promises are about the same thing. And they are big promises. And I feel out of my depth. And as I said, I'm not here to claim I've got the answers to exactly what's going on here. But they're big enough that we shouldn't ignore them. And so although there's some danger in me getting up here and raising more questions than giving answers, 
we, we shouldn't just skip over this. Here's good news. Here's big promises. We should at least work at trying to find out how do we take hold of these. So, we've briefly gone through what the words mean in verse 14 and 15. My second section is I want to run through some varieties of prayer. I think the key issue here in our verses is what's the relationship between our prayers and God's will? So I want to explore that by showing you some varieties of prayer that relate to God's will in different ways. And if I remember rightly, I've got four varieties. Margaret's got the notice sheet. Is that right? Was it four? Four varieties. Okay. the first is requests without knowing God's will. When we make requests, but we don't know what God's will is. Now, I reckon this is probably the majority of our prayers. Probably the majority of our prayers, we make requests, but we don't actually know what God's plan is and what he intends. So we pray for someone to get a job. Maybe we pray for him to get that particular job that he's applying for, but we don't know if that's God's will that he would. We pray for someone with an illness to get better, but we don't know if it's God's will to make them better. You might even do this. Well, I certainly have, and I doubt I'm the only one. You're going to go on holiday and you pray for a safe journey and you pray you'd have nice weather. But you've got no guarantee that God plans to give you sunshine and not thunderstorms. And I'm sure we've all experienced it on holiday. We don't know whether he'll do these things or not. And so we might say in our prayers, we make our request and say, if it is your will. And even if we don't say it, it should be our attitude. There's a song for children that that, uh, tells us something of this. It goes... Sometimes God answers yes when I pray. Sometimes God answers wait when I pray. Sometimes he answers no, just because he loves me so. But I know God always answers when I pray. And that must be true, mustn't it? Now, we've got to be, we can't therefore get round the promise in John 14 and say, yes, God always answers prayer, but it's sometimes no. That's, I don't think that's what John 5 verse 14 is talking about, because it says we have it. But it must be true that sometimes God answers no, because prayer is a child speaking to a father. And all good fathers sometimes say no, don't they? When I was a junior school boy, I used to think, oh, I'd love to be 18. As soon as I'm 18, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get an air rifle and some chewing gum. That's what I'm going to do when I'm 18. I'll get myself an air rifle and some chewing gum. Why did I think that? Because, as a little boy, I'd asked my dad for an air rifle and I'd asked him for some chewing gum. And he'd said no to both. They were both things I wanted that he disapproved of. Chewing gum, uncouth, nasty habit, people chewing gum, was his opinion. And air rifles, well, that's more obvious, especially if you knew how accident-prone I was. So I wanted them, and he said no, because, well, that's being a good father, isn't it? You might dispute the chewing gum one, the air rifle one's more obvious. Good fathers say no sometimes, because children don't know best, and God is a good father. And he doesn't always give what we ask. And sometimes we discover he's got something better for us. I discovered a poem um, by a soldier in the American Civil War that I thought was fairly helpful. Uh, I'll read it to you. I asked for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health 
that I might do great things. He gave me grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. He gave me poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of others. He gave me weakness that I might feel a need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. He gave me life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing I had asked for. He gave me all that I had hoped for. Well, I think there's something in that. Some things we ask for, it turns out uh, to be a good thing that God hasn't given them to us. Although I must add that I think that line, I received nothing that I had asked for, well, that won't happen if we ask in the John 5 verse 14 and 15 way. Because it does say we will receive. There are some things where we will receive. So let's move on. That was the first variety of prayer, which is probably our main one. We make requests, but we really don't know whether they're God's will. Second variety of prayer is praying God's will revealed in Scripture. The Bible tells us what God approves of. It tells us what God desires and delights in and what God promises and what God tells us to pray for. And when we pray in line with that, we can have confidence God will give it. Is that restrictive? Does that just give us three or four prayers and that's it? And you have to keep recycling the same three or four prayers? By no means, because the Bible tells us an awful lot that we can pray for. Uh, Here's one example. Anyone listening who is not a Christian, who has not had their sins forgiven, here's a prayer for you to pray. The Bible says God loves to be merciful. God delights in saving sinners. And God promises if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so if you pray, God, I need your mercy. God, I need the death of the Lord Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need to be cleansed. I admit I'm an undeserving sinner. Please forgive me. If you pray that, trusting God, then he'll give it. This is not a suggestion. I said this evening I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting at this point. No, this is definite. Because the Bible says God will give it if you trustingly ask him. And it doesn't depend on how strong your faith is. It depends on how strong and promise-keeping God is. So do you believe he keeps his promises? Fellow believers also, the Bible gives us so much that you can pray for with confidence. You pray for God to raise up labourers for the harvest. In other words, send out people into the mission field. He will do it. It is his will. We have that in Jesus' own words. It is God's will for you to be holy. It says that in the Bible. So you pray for it and he will make you holy. Maybe not in your timetable and maybe not in the way you expected, but he will do it. Read the prayers of Paul that are written in his letter. And you find there's so many things you can pray for where you can know this is God's will. He will do it. Praying God's will revealed in scripture is not restrictive. So we've had requests when we don't know God's will, praying God's will revealed in scripture, and then thirdly, seeking God's will more specifically. And this is where I have to really get into the realm of suggestion and and just make suggestions to you. We can know it's God's will when we pray generally 
Father, send workers into the harvest field. Send out people into the mission field. We can know that's his will. But what about if we were more specific and said, Father, this year, send out workers into the mission field of Central Asia. We've narrowed down, haven't we, from just the general to more specific. This year in Central Asia. Now, can we pray like that and... Is it one of those things we just have to leave it? God might or might not do it. Or can it ever fit with the verse 14 to 15 promise? Can we ever pray it with more? Promise. Am I running out of battery? You're going from this. Okay, we're all right. Good. It can be part of that promise in some circumstances. And what we need to do is spend time waiting for God. Spend time waiting for God. Did you notice that in Psalm 27? That's why we read Psalm 27. The Psalms are full of expressions of waiting for God. Bring your need to him and wait to see how he responds. And I think this means you bring your needs to God and you talk your needs through with God and you tell him what's on your heart and you tell him your troubles. And don't be too quick to tell him what to do about it. And I think, how, of course we wouldn't be quick to tell God what to do about it. Well, I think we are often. I think we're often very quick to specify exactly what we're asking for and exactly what we think the answer to prayer would be. But what I'm suggesting is that although that's not always wrong, we probably need to do more of just bringing the needs to God and talking them over with God and waiting to see how he prompts us to move next. Waiting to see what is his prompt. It may be that God leaves you just to pray one of those prayers where you have to say, if it is your will, I really don't have a clue. But if it is your will, please do this. It may be that God directs your prayers and prompts you to pray, puts something on your heart, gives you faith to pray for a certain outcome. It may be that God goes further and gives those promptings with such force and such strength that you pray with confidence, this is God's will and he has given me this answer and it's just a matter of time. Till I see it. So I've there suggested different things God may do. And you don't know which one he'll do. But you wait on God. You bring him the need. And you see how he leaves you. I'll give some examples. The first one is just made up. To, to just try to explain the sort of thing I'm saying. I'm suggesting. Notice there's that word again. Suggesting. Um, imagine someone you know is ill. What do you pray for them? Well, you bring the need to God. You tell him what's concerning you. You show him the situation. Not that he doesn't know, but he loves to hear his children. And you pray for them to have patience and to have confidence in God's care and to be joyful, to have joyful hope because you know those things are God's will. If this is God's child you're praying for, the Bible says that is God's will for his children. So you pray those things with confidence. 
But it may be that as you talk to God about the need, as you take your time and wait on God, it may be he gives you faith to pray confidently that the medical treatment will work. It may be he gives you faith to pray they'll be completely healed. Or it may be that he just leaves you to pray, please heal them if it is your will. You don't know which one. But you wait on God. You bring the need to him. Now, some examples of people who've said that uh, God has done this sort of thing for them. Some examples from church history. Uh, Charles and Priscilla Studd. Probably some of you have heard of C.T. Studd, Charles Studd. I think he was a cricketer as well as a missionary. I'm getting some nods. Yes, well, when he was a missionary, along with his wife in China, him and his wife ran out of money. And they determined that they were going to spend that night in prayer seeking God because they'd completely run out of money. They didn't just have not enough for their widescreen TV. They'd just completely run out of money. And so they decided to spend the night praying about it. But within 20 minutes of getting down on their knees and praying, they were both convinced that God had answered and they didn't need to pray anymore. I find that interesting. They had resolved to spend time waiting for God and to, in an unrushed way, come before God. But sometimes when we do that, we find that actually it doesn't need loads of time and it's not long prayers are meritorious. But we've got to approach in that unhurried way. Well, the postman didn't come for two weeks. And when he came, there was nothing in the post bag with any money in it. But Charles Studd was so convinced God had answered our prayers that he took the postman's bag off him. I don't know what the postman thought of this and shook it upside down. And out came an envelope that had a check for them. And along with the check was a letter in which the writer said, "I, I don't know why, but I felt so compelled that I had to send this check to you. And of course it had come from away, far away from the mission field and taken a couple of weeks to get to them. Another example is also a missionary. I wondered which examples to give you. I'd got a choice of various. And uh, I've given you two missionary ones. The other ones were non-missionary ones. But I like this missionary one because it's James Fraser. And some of you might remember I did a little talk about James Fraser a while ago. Missionary to the Lisu people in southwest China. And he went there and it was so discouraging because the people were so hard-hearted and so, uh, well, they just wouldn't turn away from their idolatry, their fear of the ancestor spirits. And so he devoted himself to praying for them, to just bringing the need before God and turning the need over before God. Until after a while he became convinced God had given him faith to pray for 600 Lisu families to be converted. Now, there were 2,000 Lisu families living in his area where he worked, but he was convinced God had given him faith to pray for 600 Lisu families to be converted. Someone asked him, why didn't you pray for 2,000 Lisu families to be converted? And he said, well, you haven't understood I just didn't have the faith. I just couldn't pray expectantly for 2,000. I didn't think it would happen. God has given me faith to pray for 600 to be converted. And he was confident that God had answered. He just hadn't seen the answer yet. That was 1915. By 1918, there were 600 Lisu believers, not yet families, 
but give it a few years, and there were. Sorry, I, did I say 600 Lisu families? I meant to say several hundred. It wasn't as specific as 600. Several hundred. Give it a few years, and there were several hundred Lisu families turned to Christ. Those are two examples from down through church history where, where people have said, God gave me faith to pray for a specific thing, and I prayed it confident that I was praying according to God's will, and he'd given it to me. Now, I'm repeating there what some people have said they believe these promises are about. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. I'm making suggestions. I'm not preaching tonight in this bit. An obvious question is, how do you know whether you have faith for this prayer? Or are you just presumptuous? How do you know? Now, that's difficulty. I don't think we can spell out exactly in advance how God will uh, let you know. And I think there is a big danger here that we become people who are always trying to read our feelings. And reading your feelings is a very dangerous thing. Because it could be you've just eaten too much cheese or had a bad night's sleep and you feel kind of funny. So there are difficulties and there are dangers. But that doesn't mean that God can't let you know even if we can't spell out exactly how in advance. God can let you know and he'll know once, you'll know once he let you, lets you know. Uh, here's an objection that someone might have. Well, there's probably lots of objection, objections you might have, but here's one I thought of, which is, is this simply God has planned to do something and he lets you know his plan and you pray for it and the plan happens? So the prayer hasn't made any difference. In other words, prayer is just this sort of unnecessary link in the chain of something that was going to happen anyway. I bought a bed once from an old-fashioned department store. And you went and looked to see what bed you wanted, and then you talked to a member of staff. And then you had to go to a funny little cubicle where there was a person behind a desk, and they filled out a piece of paper for you. Then you had to take that piece of paper to another desk where you sorted out the payment. And I thought, this is, is this the Soviet Union where you've got job creation by just jobs that aren't necessary, links in the chain that aren't necessary, surely? Is prayer like that, just an unnecessary link in the chain so that we feel like we're playing a part, whereas really God was just going to do it anyway? No, I don't think so. Because the Bible repeatedly tells us prayer changes things. Some people say prayer doesn't change what God was going to do. It just changes you to bring you in line. I don't think so. Uh, There are various examples. Just to give you one, do you remember the first sermon of the year here at Hollywell? From Ezekiel. where God said, I looked for a man to stand in the gap so that I wouldn't destroy Israel. But because there was no one standing in the gap, I'm going to have to destroy them. Prayer changes things. Lack of prayer changes things. So it's not just where some link in the chain that that isn't needed because God was going to do it anyway. Here's something I wonder. John 14 and 15 and 16, we've already read, all have this promise of God giving what we ask. But... John 14 and John 15 and John 16 all talk about us being united to Christ and sharing God's eternal life and being one even with God. And I'm completely out of my depth here and I suspect everyone is, but I think the two things are probably linked. 
I think it's probably we become so one with God that he chooses to work through us. And we're not just some tool in his hands like a hammer. We're an active tool in his hands that plays a thinking, responsible part. And so he chooses to work through our prayers. And in some mysterious way, they do actually change things. But they change things as we come into line with his will. But I don't know how that works. But I'm thinking it's something to do with that. Oneness with God, which means somehow we're part of his work and not an unnecessary, unthinking part of his work. Okay, I've made some suggestions there. Uh, For the sake of completeness, I'm going to give you a fourth variety of prayer. We've had when we don't know God's will, when we do know his will from scripture, when we're seeking his will, more clarity on it, and then prayers when we really haven't got a clue what even to pray for. There are prayers when we just don't know how to pray. And maybe we particularly need this one now if you felt confused by what I've just said. And you're thinking, I'm confused, I just don't know what to pray. Well, take encouragement from Romans 8. What does Romans 8 say about that? It says, we don't know what to pray as we ought. There are times. It's not saying we always don't know. That would be a contradiction of this in 1 John. But there are times we don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groans which cannot be uttered. And most are in agreement that those groans come through us. Sometimes we're troubled with situations and difficulties and we just can't see, what on earth do you pray for that? And God says, even then the Spirit can use are just groaning to God about it. Just bringing to God the situation, saying, I don't know. I don't even know what to ask for. I'm just troubled. And he says, even that God can use. So don't hold back. Don't think you've always got to have it worked out and be able to spell out to God exactly what you're asking for. Just bring it to him, even if you can't even get the words right. Well, let's move on lastly to some responses. Some responses. Some of these things I've been saying as I've tried to emphasise are suggestions. Some of them I feel out of my depth on. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on them. But what would be sensible responses? Just quickly, here are some. First of all, please do think about these promises. They are hard to understand. Well, I think they're hard to understand. But they are here in Scripture. And they are really good promises. So let's try to work them out. Think about them. Talk to each other about them. Tell each other your experiences of prayer. Let's think about these things. Here's a second response. Pray more prayers that are taking up the promises of the Bible and what the Bible says is God's will. Pray things the Bible gives you confidence to pray for. I think they should be a much bigger proportion of our prayers. And that won't be restrictive. It will be enriching. It will be enriching. It will focus your prayers on our spiritual growth and our Christ-likeness and the kingdom of God. And how much do you pray for the return of Christ? That's a a Bible prayer. Listen to God in the Bible and then speak back to him in response to what you've heard him say to you. It won't restrict your prayers. It will enrich your prayers. Here's a third response. Wait for God. Bring your needs to him. And slow down and give it time. I find 
Isn't that, if, if I come to pray to God thinking, well, I've got such and such amount of time because then I want to get on with something else, that's a dead loss. If I'm doing it with my eye on the clock, but if I'm doing it without my eye on the clock and I slow down, sometimes within a very short time I think, well, I'm done. I, I don't, I, I've, any more words would just be piling on words. And God has met with me. But God won't meet with you in a hurried way, usually. Oh yes, sometimes he knows we're pressurised and he meets with us. But usually you, you've got to give time. Bring your needs to him. Turn them over. Tell him all about them. And then fourthly, pray with expectancy. Pray expecting things from God. It's so easy to pray words just because we're expected to pray words. I can tell you that as a pastor, especially as a pastor, people expect you to say a prayer, you say a prayer. It's so easy just to say the words without really expecting anything from them. It's a misuse of prayer. Are we really expecting God to do what we ask for? Or are they just thoughtless words? God eradicate all poverty this year. Do you expect that to happen? Well, to go back to what I said earlier, if God gives you faith to pray that, then pray it. But I doubt he will, seeing as Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. So I doubt he will. But if he does, well, that would be great. But uh, I would doubt it. Now, we are to pray big prayers. Remember, the Bible also says he can give above, well, exceedingly above all we ask or imagine. So pray big prayers. Pray thoughtful prayers where you really expect God to give it. One very last thing, one very last thing. If any of this has confused you, anything I just, oh dear, I thought prayer was simple. It's made it sound so complicated. Well, sorry, I really don't want to do that. The number one thing that Jesus taught about prayer, if, you, if you're feeling confused, just cling on to this number one thing that Jesus taught about prayer, which was it's a child speaking to their heavenly father. It's you as God's child, if you're in Christ, there's the big if, if you're in Christ, speaking to your heavenly father and he loves to hear from you. He loves to listen to you. And he loves to have his children both speak to him and listen to him. Keep hold of that one. That's something that you can be very definite about.